Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Is that a rolling? <laughs> yes. Can I begin with an apology? You can. Uh, I can't believe I was listening to the last podcast, and I can't believe among the many stupid things I've said on this podcast, <laughs> there was one particular thing Heaven's last week. <laughs> thing last week. I said, there's only one Norman in football, and yes. that's Norman Wyside. Yes. What an idiotic thing to say. Yes. Norman by Chilegs. Yeah. Hunter. First football, first football match I ever went to was when Norman, bite your legs, Hunter, uh, had, had, re- had retired from um, Leeds and was playing for Bristol City. And he uh, marked his intro to the game by um, taking out in the first about fifth minute Sammy McElroy of Manchester United <laughs> and leaving him completely prone <laughs> on the surface. And Sammy McElroy played, if I remember rightly, no further part in that game. <laughs> That's Norman. And, uh, what a great name. There's a, there's a, my favourite uh, Tour de France cyclist uh, is, or rather was, because he's now been disgraced, of course, for the drug shots, Michael Chicken Legs Rasmussen. <laughs> chicken Legs. <laughs> when you see a picture of him from the waist down, you know it's the chicken. He's <laughs> been emaciated. And I can actually say, without any fear of legal repercussion, drug-filled <laughs> limbs. <laughs> he's the one who famously fell off his bike in the uh, last Tour de France and uh, broke uh, two bones in his foot very badly injured his knee and yet weirdly David he was on the bike the next morning charging <laughs> into the field as fresh as a daisy <laughs> didn't feel a thing no chicken <laughs> didn't, didn't feel, feel a thing no, as, a, cy- as a cycling fan have you, <laughs> have you seen uh, that wonderful French animation Belleville Rendezvous yes I have it's one of the most wonderful films absolutely if anybody's, no anybody's looking for something that they want to you, you can play it small children as well and uh, the whole family can watch it's absolutely yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. fantastic. Although I did find a bit of the, the old ladies shimmying in the uh, rubbish dump playing kind of... That was a little bit spooky. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. There's, there's a darker edge to it, but uh, that's and the way of all entertainment. So I apologise for uh, saying that there was only one Norman in football, when in fact there are two. 
Um, and <laughs> we all just only two. These things matter. I should also apologise to David Holly of Abbey Road because Rob was saying last week that he couldn't take a picture in Abbey Road because it might infringe their copyright. Oh, it's dear. nothing to do with that, apparently. It's so that superstars can work in in Abbey Road in unharassed right. by right. amateur right. paparazzo. Like Rob Fitzpatrick. So, yeah. <laughs> so our podcasts are now so edgy that we have to have legal apologies at the beginning. The, the yeah. whole thing's going to be... We're a bit, out there with it, it's all an Brandon apology Ross. this week. <laughs> it's all an apology this week. This is, is the Word okay. Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. Mark Ellen. Mark Ellen. That's me. And Matt Hall. Matt, Matt Hall. Matt Hall. Uh, arriving well. from the Fens. Slightly late. <laughs> I don't There's know the journey on the line. I have one of those rare moments on the tube when the person uh, listening to their iPod next to me I was quite enjoying what they were playing. It was so loud. They were playing Hot Rats by Frank Zappa. Wow. That's good, isn't it? But you're only here... And I felt compelled to tap him on the shoulder and go, is that Hot Rats by Frank Zappa? And he kind of looked at me and went, yeah. He was really? Yeah. Like, I thought he'd be quite pleased. Like, yeah, it just isn't Son of Mr. Greenjee's amazing track, you know. There's no banter with this guy at all. Yeah, as if, like, everyone should be listening to Hot Rats by Frank Zappa. It's a disaster, Dave. I went straight back to my copy of the time. So he's actually Humbled. playing... Was he playing the track Hot Rats? He was... Well, he was playing was the whole album. was he playing Peaches on Reggae? No, he was playing the whole album. Was Mr. Which Green track Jeans. was he playing? Son of Mr. Green, Green Jeans. Jeans was the one he was playing, oh, when I, which I heard it, yeah. yeah. You're testing me now. I'm, t- <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm now trying to think. We're now going to see if we can do live all the tracks on Hot Rats. Oh, my Lord. there ain't that many. I can sing bits of them. They don't want that, do you? There is, I, think, I don't want you to look at me. There's Peaches and Regalia. Peaches and Regalia. It must be a camel, Hot Rats. Gumbo variations. Gumbo variations, Son of Mr. Green Jeans, and one more. Yeah, God. Listeners... On yeah, that bombshell. It's been a great podcast. <laughs> I hope you've been entertained. <laughs> Thank you and good night. On the, webs- <laughs> on the website, while we're talking about Frank Zappa, on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, some people are arguing about the lumping in of Frank Zappa with prog rock in the new issue of Word. Where do you stand on this? They're saying, Frank Zappa, not prog at all. That's a, that's a really difficult question, actually, isn't it? Because I suppose the various definitions of prog, and there's a lot of it in the new edition, which is out today, in fact, if, it's, if you're listening on November the 13th, 2008, um, there's a lot of it, and a lot of it's to do with the lyricism, I think, the mysticism and the folklore and the, um, you know, uh, echoes of Tennyson and Byron. And well, so well, see, that's one thing that I, I always thought was, great was prog. Was, isn't prog supposed to be just... English or British, certainly. It's certainly British, but I think. Oh, that, oh you can't have foreign prog. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm so if speaking as a complete ignoramus when no, it comes okay, to, to, to prog. But see, my magma. thinking was always that that it was, you know, the Byronic. Um, I think that's a lot to do with it. There's a piece, in the fairly extensive piece about about prog. There's, a, there's an interview with Roger Dean who did all those um, rather at the time, after the time, she's slightly risable, but now actually rather attractive old. Um, Artworks of covers for, for, uh, for bands like Yes and uh, and uh, I can't remember who else now Ozzy Bisa and uh, it's, and he and there's a very interesting interview with Pete Win- Winfield who was a lyricist over there on words for um, for King Crimson yep. and I think that's really fascinating that all the it made me realise just how complex and something more dignified the whole thing was although I quite liked it uh, as a kid you know but I mean one of the definitions of prog was was just a willful change of time, time signature, in order to indicate massive classically trained virtuosity, yes. purely to show off. And I mean, let's be honest. And didn't Zappa, again, speaking as complete Zappa ignorance, didn't he come more from a kind of jazz Yeah, he did, and I don't think background. he really did that. I mean, he, his, his, um, his music was, if it doesn't sound too wanky, it's not really, it was Hey, if there's, a, if there's a place that you can be wanky. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the World Podcast. Welcome to the World Podcast. And uh, it's, it was satirical. 
cool, you know, that when he changes time signatures, it's because he is, he is deliberately reflecting idioms of old musical and old uh, jazz and old 60s doo-wop and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't just, let's play in 9-8 because we can. Um, but yeah, so with Prog Prog, Prog, we gonna... The other feature about Prog, uh, apart from, as you say, the willful change of time signature, is I think I'm right in saying, in Prog, and find me an example that proves me wrong, the vocals don't start till about halfway through the tune. <laughs> That's right. They don't, you don't get anything like, I don't know, eight days a week by the Beatles or whatever, you know, it just starts right at the beginning. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, you have, clearly you have, you have a kind of an overture, don't yeah. you, effectively? Yeah. Uh, and then you have, it slows down, you usually get a bit of a vocal, which tends to go quite slowly. There's probably an undertour at some point okay. as well, actually. <laughs> and then there's a bit in the middle where it gallops away, yeah. and the guitarist shows off, or the, or the organist shows off. Then, uh, you know, what's that noise? Oh God, an enormous metal grinder started about. So this is the new sound of Young Islington, metal grinding. Einstein Newbarton reforming. <laughs> Impromptu show on the back yeah, of a lorry, chatting right. it up. Drilling the stage with <laughs> Mark Allen and I once had to interview... Um, bar, bar, Blixer Barfelt or Bargeld. Oh, Einstein Say it again. Blixer Bargeld. Einstein Neubauten, which I think means collapsing new building. It certainly does. As opposed to, of course, D. Tottenhausen. Which is the other German band. The Dead Trousers or something? The Dead Trousers. That's a great name for a band. The Dead Trousers. Kraftwerk, what does that mean? Kraftwerk, I think. No, it means factory, doesn't it? Does it? God, this has been enormously educating for me this morning. So, at that point, we're now talking about things we've learnt in the last week. Oh, yes. Which is, uh, and I'm going to go first. because we should do our prog memories at some point. Of course we will. Yeah. We'll come back to prog go on, go, Yeah, go on. Um, I, I was watching something on the telly last night, which I don't do very often, and I thought, my God, this is a programme built for Mark Ellen. This ought to be on the it? Mark Ellen channel. It's a programme called Oceans on BBC Two. Have you seen this? No. And so they've, 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 you know, combed the world and they've found a, a kind of oceanographer who's youngish female and kind of, you know, looks a bit like MIA <laughs> and has a ring through her nose. And they're like, you're the girl. Are you sure you know, it's like, not MIA? <laughs> I don't think it is. A mermaid. And, and <laughs> yeah. they've gone, they've gone uh, diving in the Sea of Cortez. What? Off Mexico. Excellent. What did they find? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one I thought thing. Beer bottles. I thought that, that only existed in a, um, in a David Crosby lyric. Oh, I see. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to tell you what they found, briefly, okay? You, if you go to the bottom of the sea, in the Sea of Cortez, you're diving on the San Andreas Fault, right? Right. So that means there is a gap in the world, yes? Yeah. Okay. And so basically, if you go down there, you'll see bubbles escaping That's right. from the Earth's crust, which are basically coming up from the molten core cool. of the Earth. And so they took an egg down there. <laughs> they took an amazing. egg down there and placed it on one of these cracks and boiled an egg on the on the floor of the Pacific so, Ocean. So hold on, how how deep is this? How deep is I this? Know, bit? I didn't measure. How deep surely, it yeah, but surely if you take an egg down there. Diving expert Mr. Ellen will be able to back me up on this. Wouldn't the egg kind of crush? Wouldn't it? I'll tell you something very boring, actually. In the, well, or is the egg such a perfect story, if you really want to know, When I went to the Maldives, sorry, Dave, we're coming back to the end of your story. When I went to the Maldives uh, this year to write an article about scuba diving, one of the experiments was that it, they demonstrate that at 30 metres depth, if you crack an egg open, the yolk disappears, but the, the sorry, the white, but the, the yolk 
remains compressed by the water pressure, hanging in midair like something out of a spacecraft, and as hard as a ping pong ball, and you can bash it backwards and forwards. It's extraordinary. Isn't it? well, yeah. It's just water pressure, you know. So there'd be, you know, you can write a book about this, can't you? Eggs underwater. Eggs underwater. Sounds like a Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what I learned this week, you know, and, and I was convinced by it, but I'm credulous, you know. That's good. I learned something. Else. I, I also learned something to do with the San Andreas fault. Um, I learned that it's been three centuries since there's been an earthquake, um, on the a major earthquake on the uh, on the San Andreas Fault, and there should be one just to release the pressure every what, every, ni- every ninety odd years. So well, we and, so, and that's why seven thousand people. And I wondered how seven thousand seven thousand people today are actually um, doing a kind of um, emergency test in Los Angeles for what would happen if a uh, if a big one hit. And, um, How do you do an emergency test? Well, I was trying to work someone out. It's like a fire drill. There's a yeah, bell goes. Does someone go out and... And tr- it's meant to simulate the idea of your yeah. entire... Everyone, everyone goes... Everyone wobbles from side to side. Cups slide up and down the tabletops. But really fast. Then after that, what happens? I don't know, but I just kept on thinking really... shows how what shallow way my brain works. I just kept on thinking, cool, wouldn't it be really good if somebody played California Earthquake by Mama Cass now? Because that would be like a real... Great do people still do it. earthquake songs? There used to be a time when, when all Californian acts did an earthquake song, didn't they? Living on the Fault Line by the Doobie Brothers. Oh, yeah, correctly they saying, did, yeah. yeah. Um, so is there, is there earthquake? 8.5 was When the, the levee breaks. Yeah, there is. There must be a there are earthquake equivalents. Yeah. Well, I think people wrote them, didn't they? You know, I can feel the earth move. Carol King, under my feet. It was all, it was all the same That's image, true. wasn't it? Yeah. You suddenly got this whole load of... Rich people moving out to California and thinking, well, this is really nice. The but. sun shines every day, <laughs> but there's a downside. But, uh, and it hasn't happened for quite a while. Anyway, what have you learned this week, Mark? Well, I've learned, I suppose, that jargon is back. Um, and it's, <laughs> Did it it's, ever go away? It's never been away, Dave. But I, I, I'm determined to put something in the next edition, actually. So if anyone has any new jargon that they want to send what in, particular areas at wordmagazine.co.uk, do send to me. Well, particularly in politics, really. There was two great um, Barack Obama ones. One was, um, it, it was uh, someone had referred to the... Um, Campaign as outcome determinative, which is a ridiculous phrase, isn't it? And also, Barack Obama was described as a listening guy. I've never heard the word listening used that way. Is that jargon? It's probably That's cliche. That's a cliche. New adjective, isn't it? I think my favourite bit of pol- political jargon that I came across recently. I'm still I've, I've, back, by I've the way. Used, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I've used it relentlessly ever since, which is a dog whistle. Have you what's, heard that? What's a right. dog whistle? Oh, it's fantastic. It's so. It's, it, it's, it's a it's, face it's, call. It's, it's, you, you, they talk about politicians. There are certain um, big issues in politics that swing votes one way or another, but it's, it, it's very bad if politicians are overtly appear to be saying anything about them. And so the best thing you can issue to your potential voters is a dog whistle. And so they talk about a dog whistle, a dog whistle on immigration, for instance. If you were to make a point about, I don't know, identity cards or whatever, that could be taken as a dog whistle i.e. it's a signal that only a dog can hear. And good. I think it's, it's a, a good very... That's very, a very subtle expression. Very subtle mm. and very descriptive, you see. I'm a huge... I don't take the mickey out of jargon. I think jargon... No, I love it. I'm not taking the mickey either. I love it. I, I don't care for outcome determinative, because it's just uh, what does that needlessly complicated. It, it, it will determine the outcome, presumably, but you might as well just uh, put it like that. No, I, I really like uh, little shorthands and expressions like that. Roadmap to peace. I can't say anything wrong with that. Well, red state, blue state. 
But then, but then it becomes it, it becomes a kind of restrictive thing that all the media kind of adopt it, and therefore it becomes the terms in which the whole the whole description is is framed, doesn't it? Mm. You know, even though it probably doesn't mean anything when you get to the uh, when you get to the bottom of it. So you want? Don't you think the media? I, I was thinking about this the other day with the word credit crunch. You know, um, it, 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 people just use these kind of. Um, is it alliteration or assonance? It's alliteration, isn't it? Credit crunch. Yeah. Uh, People's princess. Um, you know, they use those expressions. Broken Britain. They use those expressions because they just sound really good. Britain isn't broken. But once you say broken Britain, it's just a fabulous phrase and people like using it. It just sounds really convincing. Doesn't but also, nowadays... Yeah, alliteration is responsible for a massive over-amplification of the news. Yeah, yeah. And also, nowadays, Matt's going to stick Matt's his head out the window and, and sneeze. <laughs> We're all ailing here, by the way. All three of us seem to be a bit bunged up. Because the other thing is that the, the, the speed at which the media processes these things nowadays that means that these things go from being left-field expressions to right in the centre very, very quickly, don't yeah. they? So broken Britain becomes accepted as... Totally. We all know it's broken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where there was a meeting. Yeah. Did everybody get the memo? Yeah, sorry. Right. Where were you? You were on holiday. I dro- I've got to put my hand up here. I did, I did actually drop it. Sorry. No one else was in the room, but I picked Britain up, had a look at it, dropped it. Oh, right. right. <laughs> Put it back on the shelf right. when it left uh, and hope that nobody had noticed. Pause on it. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Prog Rock in the new issue. Uh, prog Rock Memories. What's your Prog Rock memory, Mark? Well, I've, I've, got, I've probably got two, but my key Just one. Just two? Just two. Well, I've got a million. My key one. One either side of the album. Was, yeah, the great thing about Prog, I think, was that you felt uh, slightly isolated, I think, because... Only a certain kind of person liked prog. And in my view, it was a, almost entirely male preserver. Yep. It was something to do with the workings of the male mind before adolescence, if that makes any sense, uh, I, I think. You know, that you're, when you're at that point where you're, you're desperately keen on working out complicated things and interested in the kind of mathematics and science, and you know what I mean? And then suddenly you discover, um, you know, electric guitars and, and drinking and, and girls and stuff, and then you forget about things like that. But there is a time when you're in your bedroom listening to those complicated bits of music. Getting a great deal of self-satisfaction out of, of trying to kind of un- unravel their complexities, both lyrical and uh, musical. And the key thing for me was my favourite group. If they, I said they're not strictly prog, really, but I was in love with a group called Soft Machine. I absolutely adored them when I was a kid. I don't really know why, but in about 1970, so I would have been whatever, 15 or 16 or whatever, they were called to the Albert Hall to appear on something called the Pop Proms, which at the time actually was a, 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 quite an event because no rock band, I don't think, in fact they were, I think, the first rock and roll band to play at the Albert Hall at a promenade concert. And I remember thinking this was a very significant moment because this was the moment me and my sisters would, would be able to rise up in the household and insist that, uh, you know, the, the communal radiogram would be... We did have our own transistor radios and stuff, but I wanted to hear it on the big machine in the, in the sitting room. And I can remember feeling very isolated. discovered not only did my parents violently against the idea of this... Quite <laughs> rightly, appalling... Parago. Yeah, Parago, polyrhythmic noodlers, you know, ruining the... But my sisters, of course, wouldn't support me, because why were they the soft machine? Yeah, quite. That's not Cat Stevens' name, is it? <laughs> What's the fun in the soft machine? <laughs> It's not James Taylor. It's not even David Essex. Actually, he wasn't invented there. But you know what I mean? It's just, there's no fun in the sovereignty. I can remember that lonely night. It was my friend Andy Hunt. Andy Hunt and I sat and listened to this broadcast. Again, trying desperately, tapping our feet furiously, trying to work out. Was it, was it 9 8? Oh, it 17 6? Yeah, nodding at each other sagely, tapping her nose in a kind of conspiratorial way. The softs. And the other one was going to see Yes, I think, in 1971 at the Bournemouth Winter Gardens. Right. Classic lineup. And all I can remember was that. <laughs> was that Rick Waitman, who was probably only about six years older than me, seemed so 
fabulously stellar, uh, was wearing a cape um, throughout the entire concert, which had little bits of mirror, broken bits of mirror yeah, yeah. all over it, so it reflected lights all over the <clears throat> inside of the Bournemouth Winter Garden. I remember that being quite exciting. They played Roundabout, they just launched Fragile. They played a song called Roundabout, which I thought was absolutely tremendous. I've just looked at the lyrics before we came in, actually, just to remind myself whether it was tremendous, and, well, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them on the tour just before that. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about prog as being very extravagant in its presentation and so forth. But I remember, I, I saw Yes in, the, in a lecture theatre at the LSE. Yeah. You know, which is about as unglamorous a setting as you can possibly see a band in. You know, they were kind of crammed onto a stage, you know, that they were... They were like a, a beat group who kind of outgrown the, you know, the, the available space. You know? yeah. So they had extra. That was one of the one of the ways you could always remember, uh, recognize a prog group was the keyboard player always had two keyboards. See, well, Rick, so he could I'm stand sorry, in between yeah. them, you know, and, and be able to operate them. So so you're you're reminded of an air traffic controller Heathrow. Rather than you know Fat Domino, weren't you? So oh yeah, you're in a console. It was a huge. Yeah. It was a huge change. Now the big tune I remember. And you know, I was a student at the time, um, and living in a in a very nasty flat near Turnpike Lane. And if ever I, if if my son had the patience to listen, I would tell him how little his life is like mine was at the same age. You know, <laughs> kids today, mobile phones. You mean he God doesn't? Knows what. You mean he doesn't listen to the podcast? Well, no, no, no <laughs> certainly doesn't. Anyway, no, the, we we used to we had a copy of the Yes album, and the big breakthrough track of the Yes album was Yours Is No Disgrace. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very well, yeah, yeah. And Yours Is No Disgrace was distinguished by a section, a classic uh, kind of intr- instrumental showing-off section that used to start with... Dun, 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 dun. Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Very dramatic. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. We used to, three of us... Beat out this, this military is, no, It's worse. With, with, it's worse. With, with wooden oh, imagine spoons. Three students in a flat... We made with our own bottle, entertainment back then. With a bottle of vodka? old English oh. cider. <laughs> what, are you going to say vodka? Yeah. Not invented. Good God. Couldn't have Not even that stuff they made in Warrington. No. <laughs> Vladivar. No, no. Uh, old English cider, which was the drug of choice in those days. And one person would be elected to go and run the light show in the flat <laughs> during this tune. I'm not exaggerating this at all. And then <laughs> running the light show involved involved going to the only available light in the room, which was the switch, over, over by the front so. door. Yeah. So that when we got to the, the, the blessed bit, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the lights went on and off. Oh, in time. We used to see, we used to actually, we did that. Yeah. At so, which point would be a banging on the floor from a broom. <laughs> Turn out bloody noise down, mate. And Can shortly followed by... T- as the light bulb. bulbs were probably oh more reliable God. in those days. We were happy in those days, weren't we? <laughs> Pound of wet fish, you know, shiny florin for the for the Sharabang home, and a, a copy of a Spooky Tooth album. But we're I, happy days, Dave. We made our own entertainment. I'm still, I'm still, you know, amazed when I remember that we actually we did no, do no, that. Nothing wrong with it. It's no, there's no shame. There's no disgrace. Yours, in fact, is no disgrace. <laughs> But going back to your thing about the, the kind of adolescence and prog rock, I think the reason that prog rock continues to flourish is that it appeals to that mainly male desire 
to prove that one form of music is better than other forms of music. Yeah, I mean, surely. And does it feel that things scientifically calculated? You know, look how quick he's doing it. Look how schooled they are. You know what I mean? It's not about how it makes you feel. But I, don't, I think some people probably never quite get out of that. I got a, an email yesterday from a very nice guy, and if he's listening, I don't mean to disparage this at all. I was pleased to get it. But there's an article in the new <coughs> edition of Word about uh, Miles Davis' um, kind of blue. Uh-huh. Uh, it's 50th anniversary. And in this, it's only, you know, 1,100 words long, and I'm trying to write an article, it was written by me, in fact, for people who are not particularly interested in jazz, wouldn't normally read about jazz. I got this fantastic email from this guy, I read your article, you could hear the hollow laugh all the way through, no mention anywhere of the real genius of the group, Paul Chambers, the string bass player. And I had to write back and say, if you mention a bass player in an article aimed at people who don't even like, possibly, possibly hate jazz, do you think they're going to carry on reading? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I love that idea that it's all to do with kind of, I, I, I know more than you, you know, I, my, my experience is, is greater, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose that the great kind of high priest of this whole thing during the early 70s was Alan Freeman's Saturday afternoon uh, Radio 1 show, you know, which was just devoted to, to, you know, what I used to call great coat music, you know, you know so, so it was kind of yes at one end, it was Black Sabbath, it was the Pink Fairies, it was Rory Gallagher, it was Pink Floyd, it was all, and it was largely blokes. Yeah. And... and and Alan Freeman was a really good G- DJ and it was a really good programme, but hovering over it was this this slightly defensive form of smugness. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That we've, we've sorted out an island over here yeah. where all the good music is, and you can tell the good music because it's ambitious, immensely accomplished... You know, and, 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 and you don't know what it means. You probably wouldn't understand it. And you wouldn't understand it. Because you need several A-levels to be able to even because there's the nothing. Well, off. actually, there's nothing to understand, you know. I remember the, meeting Fluff Freeman once at the House with Odeon in the, in the 1980s and I had a, a, a long conversation with him. He's quite a good bloke, actually. And then he turned round to, to walk away and go to the bar. I noticed that on the back of his bomber <laughs> tour jacket of course. was the legend Camel. <laughs> and it had, even had some tour dates. Camel, Snorstall Coliseum, you know, Redford Porter House, Leicester to Montford, or Camel. For God's sake, Nottingham, Camel. Nottingham Boat Club. Nottingham Boat Club. We can do this. Well, gigs. Leicester to Montford, that's very good. Oh, yeah. Oh, go on, let's do a tour. Ba- starting, ba- start, Club. starting Glasgow, go on, Glasgow Oh, Empire. gosh, what would that be? Glasgow, Glasgow go on. Uh, Glasgow, Glasgow. Glasgow Apollo, wasn't it? The, yeah, with an yeah, incredibly yeah. high stage in yeah, Glasgow yeah. Apollo. Somewhere the I was so rushed there. Cambridge Corn Exchange. Like Cambridge Corn Exchange. Newcastle City Hall. City Hall. Is that right? Manchester yeah. Free Trade. Uh, Rally Pink Toothbrush. The water. Yes, the yes, the yes, pink yes. toothbrush in Rally. Quite a bit smaller, but yes. Moles, really? Moles 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 in Bath. Bath course, Where's yeah. Rally? I don't know, but it was always on the tour date. Yeah, it was always it was E I G H, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and we, um, yeah. Bristol Colston Hall. Bristol, the Bristol oh. Colston Hall. But there are many. Croydon times. Fairfield Hall. Where there were the tourists. Or the Locarno. I saw the Clash at Bristol Colston Hall. I saw Eric and the Bowman there. Where do people play in Exeter? They play uh, in St David's Hall. Fantastic. What about Torquay? Oh, well, it's a good Bournemouth, game, this. Bournemouth Winter Gardens. Bournemouth, South Bournemouth, yeah, yeah. Oh, Bournemouth's now the International Centre. Oh, BIC. Really? Oh, that's a horrendous South place. End, yeah. South End, South End, Kersel. Kersel. Perfect. Uh, Roadmenders. Where was the Roadmenders? <laughs> <laughs> Roadmenders. <laughs> I think you may have moved down. I don't know. I don't know. You may have moved down from the prestige gigs. Roadmenders. The road was mended before I had to end a turn up. <laughs> Ruin it again. Actually, a good one would be um, a tour organised by live live recordings. Because uh, Glasgow Apollo, I had the Rosillo's live album, live right. from Glasgow Apollo, and you could go around all the all the gigs. Well, where there were where where live records were. Made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a tour together for that. 
Where did everybody play in Leeds? The, it was a university. And, oh, that, that was the and university. Then the, was and the, then the Queen's yeah. Hall, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's called Queen's Hall, which is a former tram shed. Yeah. Queen's Hall, exactly. Yeah. It's a very, uh, very welcoming place, that was. Yeah. And what about the small gigs, the small venues? The Bath Moles. Green Fish Bath Moles, certainly. Well, I remember the ones in London, because that's where I was. Well, apart from where I came from, of course, which was the... Um, uh, Bracknell Sports Centre. Oh, day. right! Sports Centre Bracknell, which was, it actually had Wishbone Ashman come on, and behind him, you can still see, despite the subtle lighting, you can still see wall bars and yes. pommel horses. <laughs> you just seem somehow to be wrong. <laughs> well, you know, when they're seeing the magic Phoenix, Phoenix, rise, raise your hair. Just remember the lights were going, you think, I'm in a gymnasium. <laughs> what about the granary in Bristol? Did you ever go there? Uh, no. no it was owned good. by Acker Bilk, and it was, in fact, a former granary. No. Did anybody ever used to do gigs in a drill hall? It seems to ring a bell with me that somewhere you went to and you played a drill hall. Perfect rock, I would have thought. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely it, perfect. Or, or indeed Einstein Newbarn. Einstein, exactly, yeah. I saw Keith Hartley's <laughs> half-breed... precision drumming would be perfect, you know. Drill, I, I saw Keith Hartley's half-breed at, um, at the Potter's Bar Sports <laughs> Set. <laughs> Yes, listeners, this is the pod, <laughs> podcast. Where, happened? Where else would you hear the sentence? I saw Keith Hartley's half-breed at the Potter's Bars. Well, it's sports Actually, earlier on, you, you opened a, a sentence about 20 minutes ago with the, with the words, in prog, comma. And that, I just try not to bust my lip, try not to love. I just love the idea that the sentence could start with just, in prog. <laughs> you know where you are. But I like to feel, you know, we may say these things, but, you know... If there is anybody in the world who gets a little bit of amusement out of the notion that there was once a place in Potter's Bar where you could go and see Keith Hartley's half-breed, yeah. they are listening to this podcast. No, they absolutely <laughs> There right. may only be one. Yeah. But, you know, they, they may are even, listening. They may even undertake a lonely little journey down to Potter's Bar today with, with an indelible felt pen in their pocket <laughs> and, and probably immortalise this event <laughs> on a brick <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> a magazine, a website, a podcast... The word. While we're talking about uh, the the the, uh, the great foot soldiers of uh, 60s and 70s rock, sad to relate, Mitch Mitchell, the drummer of the Jimi Hendrix Experience, died yesterday. I didn't know that. Didn't really? Really? Yes, found oh, dead in uh, in uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, no, you know, natural causes apparently. Um, well, well, reasonably good innings. It must be, you know, 65 or something. I don't 61. Know. Oh, really? Is that all? Did you call that? A- and very sad that is and no, you know it's customary at times like this for everybody to go well what a great drummer but he was a great drummer absolutely fantastic drummer. and and you know 90 percent of Jimi hendrix the reason that Jimi hendrix was really interesting was brilliant, was on that first album, actually. Yeah, he had a way of drumming. Record. He played lead drums in the same way as Keith Moon played lead drums, which is you, you, you fill constantly. If you listen to Keith Moon's drumming, most people just play four fours or, or whatever, two fours. He's filling in between. Absolutely every, Absolutely yeah. incredible. And Ginger Baker, no, it's, it isn't too boring to talk about great drummers. And actually, Mitch Mitchell, of course, legendary, why, why, was the drummer of... Why is of, it too boring? It's never to too boring. Like, never Sorry, not, too <laughs> boring to talk about great drummers. No, it's not. Mitch Mitchell was the drummer of, uh, of the Dirty Mac, which, uh, whose performance? Have you ever heard the Dirty Mac? Oh, the thing the, from yeah. the... Miss Mitchell on drums, Keith Richards on bass, Eric Clapton guitar, and John Lennon, Yoko Ono, on the, guitar the, and singing. On the rock and roll circus. And they do whatever it is, cold turkey and some Your blues. Your blues. The only life force of your blues. Fantastic. Yeah, really, really good. Oh, he's superb. What a shame. Poor old boy. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. The Word. The thing I meant to talk about recently and forgot 
was that the Pet Shop Boys have been nominated, well, not nominated, you're, you know, you're given it, the Outstanding Achievement Prize at the Brits next year. Hurrah! Yeah. Isn't it an outstanding contribution to British music? Outstanding... OK, you might be right. Um, it, well, well, you've got to be yeah, British. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty, you've got to be British to get it. And they yeah. made me curious to look out the names of the previous winners. Now, bearing in mind that there was a time when the Brits started in the late 70s, early 80s, when it was somewhat sporadic. It wasn't a regular every year. They hadn't quite got it worked out what the formula yeah. was or whatever. These are the winners. The Beatles. John Lennon. George Martin. Notice pattern here? Yeah. Uh, the Police. And then, curiously enough, Wham and Elton John together one year. That was the 80s, wasn't it? It's just, it, it must have been because they made a record together. Everyone something like that. They had to, the only way they could get them in was if yeah. they could do their record yeah. together. Eric Clapton, The Who, Cliff Richard, Queen, Status Quo, then Freddie Mercury. So obviously Freddie Mercury died after Queen had got it, so they thought we get a bit more of that. Rod Stewart, Van Morrison... Did Van turn up and graciously accept? I don't seem to remember. I probably turned up and probably had a substantial supper as well. As I should have <laughs> and had a fair crack at the old wine cellar. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. Went and back then, for <laughs> And then go at the dessert trolley. And then, <laughs> the following year, obviously feeling that his award with, with joint with Wham wasn't quite you know, equal to his contribution, Elton gets it on his own. Then David Bowie, the Bee Gees, Fleetwood Mac, Eurythmics, Spice Girls... Okay, you two. How curious is that? Them not being British and all. Um, Sting, Tom Jones, Duran Duran. I can't believe Bob Geldof. Well, that was That's, time was there. That was that was, that was, famously, that was famously for was, services other than music. It was. was he only yeah. had one member of the Boomtown Rats in his group. I think it was. Is it? Uh, I remember his name now. Fingers. What's his name? Johnny, Johnny Fingers. Fingers. Yeah, but the yeah. Boomtown Rats were hardly. No, I know. Essential to British no, music. No, it was a bit of an anticlimax. So then, uh, Paul Weller, Oasis, and right up to date, Paul McCartney. There's a big missing elephant in the room off that list. So go on, just tell me what. Oh, well, that's what we want to know. What are the elephants in the room that are not there? Well, um, there's possibly the greatest rock and roll band in the world ever, are TM. We talk, <laughs> we, are we talking <laughs> about the, the rich kids? Yeah, well, yeah. Why aren't the Stones on that list? <laughs> Why aren't the Rolling Stones Why well, the Stones on that list? You must assume that they've you know, been, fair, play been to Fle- fair play to Fleetwood Mac, but you couldn't say that Fleetwood Mac were more influential on One must assume that the Rolling British Stones music. have been tapped up for it and Mick has said, oh, I don't think yeah. we'll be doing that. Which, what, hanging around eating coronation chicken? <laughs> white wine, warm white wine? Don't think so. And you'd have to say, probably quite a shrewd decision, because the Rolling yeah. Stones do not need, they don't need garlands from the British music no, industry. No, but, but I think what no. would be quite interesting would be to go down that list and work out at what point... Was that... Oh, Tom Jones. Did he have a Greatest Hits album out that year? Oh, I think... Yeah, probably did. There's a lot of that. And just go, actually, is that list, so, list worth well, anything it's quite apart the Brits from the papers it used to be a bit of a consortium of the major labels, and therefore there, were, well, there was a chairman every year, wasn't there, from a oh, different major label, and therefore they, they had to ensure that if they well, was who can you all the brothers, you know, whoever you try and get, whoever that be... That you know, if you're looking for contribu- you know, contributions to British music, you know, why is Lonnie Donegan not on that list, for instance? Well, what about the Kinks? Oh, that Kinks uh, have got a greatest hits box uh, set. I wonder if that'll happen. The oh, no, they can't do it this year. No, and too late. Kate Bush, I would have thought was, but I personally think it's very influential. That's Steve a very good one. Not big enough, I appreciate it. What about Led Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin. Where the hell are Led Zeppelin? Yeah. What about... For goodness. What sake. about Pink Floyd? Pink Floyd. Yeah. Well, that indicates what I suspect it is, which is it's to do with these singles 
uh, market commercial hierarchy, isn't it? Because albums, as Pink Floyd are, and albums are, just don't get on there. And you couldn't get people like John Martin and stuff are too, too small and too kind of word magazine to ever get the recognition on a stage. Genesis? Like Genesis, good lord. You know. But I, I would imagine that a few of these people have been tapped up and have said, no, thank you. Or, yeah. you know, we're busy that evening or whatever. Which, um, which kind of reminded me of um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, the, the American... No, the British one, which is sadly no more, apparently. Oh, is it closed yeah, yeah, already? Somebody, somebody, somebody shut the doors on it. Uh, I, th- I think that's true, actually. Gosh, I, yes, I ought to know, because I, I, was, I had to do the commentary on Radio 2 with Mark Radcliffe. Uh, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was... I, I noticed we didn't, didn't get a call. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting point. Yeah. They did it for, what, two or three years? Three years, I think. It's actually pretty good, I must be honest with you. It was a virtual Hall of Fame, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, there wasn't actually the a one Hall in, of Fame in which... Unlike you know, the one in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Is it Pittsburgh, the American yeah, one? Yeah, the American one, I think so, yeah. It, yeah. No, it's Pittsburgh, I think. Oh, Pittsburgh. No, it was actually, they were very successful shows, and they had a huge pulling power, and uh, I don't know what happened there, actually. I mean, I don't know. It's just... Uh, do you think... Have we had enough of honours? That's a really interesting... Well, it may be whether we've had enough honours or whether the people being invited, as you're pointing out there, have also had enough. Because, I mean, what happens? You're just going to keep going and all these major people yeah. that you invite are going to turn it down. So you will finish up eventually, I suppose, maybe, with maybe, Sham 69. Maybe what they should do is... That's what's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. No, maybe what they should do is, like the, with the Football World Cup, they should give it to Elton a third time and then retire it. And then he can keep it. <laughs> yeah, he can just Take keep it. Take it out to yeah. Planet Winter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see McCartney played the... McCartney turned up recently. Didn't he at the MTV, the European Music Awards, the MTV yeah. do every year? And it was in Liverpool, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just a few years ago. Yeah. Bono made a very nice speech, and he him. had to be given a prize, didn't he? Yeah, and, and you ever thought, Paul, Paul, you're Paul McCartney, you were in the Beatles, everybody recognizes you, you don't need a prize, do you? You know what I mean? You don't know, you may spend the weekend just looking through the cupboards, giving things a little bit of a buff up. <laughs> Oh, look, Melody Maker, best bass player, 72. <laughs> I beat, beat Chris Squire. <laughs> and yeah. John, where is John. he now? Where is he now? <laughs> Loser. I'll, I'll tell you what, he lives in a cow's oh, house. Oh, yeah. I've you parked outside his... Paul McCartney. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> No, I hadn't thought of that, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because one of the reasons I think that that idea never quite took is I don't think in Britain we understand the concept of a Hall of Fame. No. Though. Whereas in America with baseball and NFL or whatever, they really do, don't yeah. they? But that's what is it? With, that is to do with the, the difference in... I know, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, I hope not on the podcast, but you and I talk about it all the time, the difference in sensibility between America and England, which is so fascinating, I think. You know, this whole, this whole thing about heritage. In this country... We have a slight resistance to the idea of heritage. It's a generational thing. If I said to one of my sons, I'd come and see the great Steve Winwood, I mean, it would just be laughable. I mean, I remember telling you about a mate of mine who took his son, who was 18 at the time, to see the Rolling Stones at Wembley Stadium. I mean, clearly, that's, didn't very, want that's a very to. bad idea. And when the Rolling Stones, he didn't want to go, and when the Rolling he thought oh, this was part of his education. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, I mean, I can't say, wrong, 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 everything. And I remember he ringing, ringing me up and being appalled when the Stones did come on after an interminably ghastly roster of support acts ending in UB40. His son pulled out a couple of little earplugs from his, from his walkman and screwed them into his ear and listened to his garage uh, CD throughout the entire thing. And then he, he was ringing me up, asking me to sympathise. I'm going, this is, Dave, this is a ludicrous idea. It is. Whereas in America, in America, genuinely, the heritage circle, if you want to go and see, you know, the Allman Brothers band, a lot of it is fathers and sons, plaid shirts, come and see a great part of American cultural history. And well, no one's got any resistance to it at all. I've been to see, but that's, I've been to see Bob Dylan with my son. 
and and Paul McCartney with Massam but only because he wanted to. Yeah, I, I've certainly been wouldn't both track. Yeah, they wanted to see them once, which I thought was but that whole thrilling. that whole American thing is quite interesting there because it's like we would like you right back at the beginning you were talking about prog. Yeah, that the American the way they catalogue everything, you know, it's like the way that sports every year they've got to put a most valuable player yeah. up and on their sports team and they've got to have an all star team and they've got to have a hall of fame. Surely that's the same as why didn't prog take off hugely in the states then? Because that's cataloguing everything to the nth degree and saying this is better than that. And this person's more valuable than that person. Uh, sorry, I wasn't really conscious because David Hepworth was taking a photograph of me. But anyway, what, yeah, right. They're right. Long right question. <laughs> why, didn't America, why didn't America take prog to its bosom? Because they like to catalogue and rate and ratify everything. That's absolutely true. And I think it goes back to this. There's a piece by Jim Irvin in the current issue. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, the one I was talking about earlier when he interviews Pete Sinfield. And I, I, the idea that the lyricist was then a member of the group, which is also quite interesting because before. You know, lyricists, well, gosh, someone's going to write the lyrics. It's probably the bloke who writes the chord sequences and, you know what I mean, the melodies. And they actually used to, um, what's, what's the word? Outsource, I think is the word. Outsource lyrics in the same way Jack Bruce employed or partnered up with Pete, Pete Brown, Brown to Pete write Brown. those particularly good lyrics. Actually, for Grateful Pete. Dead, Robert Hunter. Grateful Dead, Robert Hunter, you know. Pete Civil. I mean, these guys were just employed as a kind of satellite member of the group. And that's the um, German chums starting up the angle grinder again. <laughs> Sorry about this, listeners. And, uh, and uh, you know, that was considered to be equally important. And, uh, and, and that kind of English poetry and general dystopia, very, very interesting part of it, I think. Have you seen the Bob Dylan has been turning up outside Neil Young's house? Is Neil Young there? He's trying to wake him up. Is he doorstepping him? Ooh, you've been stealing my chord sequences. <laughs> hey, shaky. Hey, shaky. Yeah, kind of borrow a cup of sugar. Sorry, Dave, say what you mean. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if, we, if, if, we need, if we needed yet more uh, evidence for the, for the fact that Bob Dylan is a queer fish, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, we thought so, yeah. He's on tour in, uh, in uh, Winnipeg, and uh, he, uh, the, the guy who lives in Neil Young's childhood home now, right, Looks out his front window and sees a, a couple of cabs pull up and, and a couple of guys get out wearing hoodies, you know, and it's cold and, you know, stamping their feet and just kind of looking at the building. And he goes out and he's, you know, because he's used to odd Neil Young fans turn up, you know, from all over the world, want to stand outside where Neil grew up. And he's talking to one of these guys and he looks at the guy who isn't talking and thinks, I recognise you. <laughs> you know, you can imagine a hood. And it becomes clear to him, it's Bob Dylan who's on tour and playing in, you know, in the city that night. And they've just come to look at Neil Young's house. That's great. Is he holding a lighted candle? <laughs> She's brilliant. And this guy, because he happens to be in and because he happens to recognise it's Bob Dylan, says, do you want to come in? And so takes him in. And in a wander around the house, so this is when the bedroom that Neil had when he, when he was a kid or whatever. And <laughs> I just think that's... That plays to loads of fascinations of mine. I'm fascinated by the childhood homes of rock stars. Yeah. Because I think they all look the same. You know, they all look like quite modest little places. Yeah. You, you look at Bob Dylan's house. I remember 10 years ago, Bob Dylan's house in uh, Duluth. Was for Duluth? sale. Oh, Hibbing. Was for sale. And the load of Bob Dylan fans are seriously going to buy it. Yeah. And I bet they wish they had done, actually. Because now they, they could charge $10 to go into Bob Dylan's house, I would imagine, to kind of look around. No, I, got, I actually got a communication from an old pal of mine, quite seriously, saying, would I come in with him? Yeah. And we got six or seven other people, and the idea was to buy it. We probably, say, we probably should have done it. Yeah, incredible. yeah. But anyway, childhood homes of rock stars. And also the idea that Bob Dylan is not as other men. He's prepared to, you know, he'd go off and be interested. You know what I mean? Can't imagine any other rock star doing that, can you? 
Well, kind thing, of conceding that they found anybody more interesting than they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good but, point. But the, the strange thing is, I kind of, you, I kind of almost expect it to, for him to go to the childhood home of one of his kind of a blues hero, yeah, or, yeah. or you know, I think it'd be Hank of, Williams. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. But but somebody who the somebody, younger than, somebody younger than younger him, younger than him, that actually yeah. came along after him. Oh yeah, it was influenced yeah, it was by quite, him. Yeah. I know. Very interesting. I remember going once to stand outside of, I think it's 275 Asbury in uh, San Francisco, which was the commune of the Grateful Dead. And uh, it was the only time we had a row on our our holiday. Uh, My kids and my wife, for some reason, didn't deign to to join me in this venture. I don't know why not. They went shopping instead. And I went up there, and outside was three or four Germans. You know, those rather severe Germans with hennaed hair. Harry Enfield Germans. You know exactly the type I'm talking about. And we stood outside this thing in silence for a moment, you know, two minutes silence, you know. And one of them said, uh, I said, how's it going? He said, uh, it's so sad. <laughs> Jerry, I feel the spirit of Jerry is still with us. I'm going, mate, get over it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really, know. they really were talking about the spirit of Jerry and how sad it was that we lost Jerry. He wasn't even dead at that point. It's just, <laughs> just playing really badly. That's right. <laughs> we really lost him. I really <laughs> resent all that. I really resent all that. I get really cross when people claim to have lost rock stars. You yeah. haven't lost them. Yeah. Their family have lost them. You know. Their you, record company have lost them. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't lost them. You never knew them. Never knew, knew them. It's, get over it. It's like any human being. Uncle Jerry, it's Captain Trips. Now, he really did have a good innings, didn't he? Well, he, uh, he yeah. Played every, a guitar every... without, without a full quantity of uh, compliment of fingers. Amazing man. Yeah. How yeah. many fingers do you have? Nine. Jerry Garcia. Jerry Nine, Garcia. Fingers. Nine fingers. Django Reinhardt. Eight. I don't know, I'm guessing that. Was it eight? Well, he only had two on one hand. two on one hand. Yeah. That's right, eight fingers. No, this is a game anyone can play. Seven. Seven fingers and two. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Hendrix. confused now. Jimmy Hendrix, right-handed guitar, played left-handed. Upside down. <sighs> thumb so Even. long, he could fret an entire fretboard with just a thumb. We were talking about guitarist hands, weren't we? We were talking about Robert Johnson the other week. Yeah. We were. Yeah. I met John Lee Hooker. And, uh, and, and, uh, and Ray Kuda, I remember reading this before I, before I, I met John Lee Hooker. Ray Kuda said, you've got to shake his hands. He's got extraordinary soft hands. They're like paper. And, and when I shook John Lee Hooker's hands, he's absolutely How correct. Extraordinary. They're kind of boneless. They're absolutely extraordinary. And, and very long fingers. The only thing, talking of another musician's hands, the only thing I can ever remember about Julian Lloyd Webber is that I remember reading this article when he was kind of a really, Hugely successful cellist, and he still is, but you know, when he was like at the top of his uh, profession, um, he used to have to go downstairs. Whenever he went downstairs, he used to put his hands in his pockets in case he tripped and fell. Oh, really? Oh, artists do. The worst thing he could ever have done. And I just had this image of him tripping and falling and landing on his face and bouncing every step on his face, and that would have not not been so bad as putting out his hands and breaking his fingers. Artists do that too. Uh, Terrified. It was understandable. If you're an artist, if you're Lucian Freud, you damage your right hand. What happens? You know, they're absolutely paranoid about anything happening, tripping over, falling. Yeah, much as you, I you much as I have enjoyed your podcast over the years, I felt that this particular <laughs> incident well it went too far. The can we have no more editorial, please, on pop digits of, uh, of music. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. 
The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.